0: You know those horror stories you hear about people having a bad vacation, a long flight delay, or even that wonderful discovery of bedbugs under the mattress? Well, East Carl Williams' story puts all those to shame. In 2012, he took a flight to Dubai to go visit a friend, soak up some sun, and party it up in the legendary club scene there. That would be the last time that Carl would see his home again for over a year. Accused of a crime he didn't commit, Carl was tortured by the police in Dubai and imprisoned in Port Rashad Detention Center, commonly referred to by former inmates as hell on earth. There the guards don't run the prisons, the inmates do. Surrounded by murderers, rapists, and the Russian mob, Carl and his friends somehow managed to survive the ordeal and were finally pardoned by Dubai's president in 2013. After talking with Carl, it struck me how positive he remains about the whole experience. He hasn't let the negative aspects of it define him at all. And that's a real testament to the person that he is. So here is my talk with Carl Williams. Did you get on one of those Nat Geo Locked Up
1: Abroad specials yet? (laughs) No, no, no. I haven't actually. It's just something that I wanted to kind of stay away from because obviously, like, yeah, it's all cool to do them sort of things, but I just feel like that'd be... Just keeping in and just selling out just for a bit of money. Like that that's that's why most of them really do it, do you know what I mean? Obviously, like I had all these TV shows and everyone trying to like offer me loads of money for my story and all that sort of stuff. And I was just like, I went through something, I didn't go through it to come out and sell a story and, and, and to make money. So uh, like I, I had to really sit down and think to myself, how can I actually help people from this and how can I make sure that nobody else goes through what I went through? So I used to go down to like the Houses of Commons quite a bit and, and, and give talks to the, the Foreign Consulate Office and, and actually help them to better their service around the world. Because there was little parts to my case where if we had the correct help from the British Embassy in Dubai, then we wouldn't have, not necessarily gone through what we went through, but it wouldn't have taken so long for it to come to light. And all of these things would have stopped some of the psychological damage that was done to me more than anything. I was—I just thought to myself, right, like, how can I actually help people? And the only way that me and um, my lawyer at, at Reprieve, Kate, kind of thought of was to do a book. Um, it was to do a book and to do a charity. But I didn't realize how much work it actually takes to write a book. What's the title of your book? Killing Time.
0: And it's about Carl's crazy situation. So... He went to Dubai with friends. A friend had moved there, right? There's a large Mm -hmm. expat Brit community that lives in Dubai. There's over 100,000 Brits. It's a beautiful place. It's got a lot of beaches. It's got a lot of sun. It's supposed to be known as a very moderate Arab country. But I would
1: sure that you would disagree with that <laughs> statement now, no? Well, <laughs> I'm not one to, you know, kind of say bad things when you think about people or countries or anything like that. But Dubai is a crazy place. And if I'm perfectly perfectly brutally honest with you it is beautiful country and I had the most fantastic time of my life over there before what happened happened to me and it wouldn't be fair of me to tarnish a whole country on 12 people's actions for the rest of the, the Arab nation people that I met from there from all different Places in the world, and I had so many fantastic experiences, and it was just that small handful of people destroyed my my um, outlook on that whole country, and I and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want other people to do the same. Do you know what I mean? Right. Would you ever go back? Uh, it's it's you know, this is the most difficult question I've ever been asked. Right, and you'd think I'd be used to it by now, but what it is. <laughs> it's like in my heart I'm like I'd love to go back there like I'd love like honestly I would love to but then because of the amount of noise that we kicked up and for the amount of attention we brought to that country and not necessarily for a positive reason that's what would put me off from going back because I'd think to myself I'd probably get there and you know they, they they might have a bit of a vendetta against me so that's the only reason I wouldn't go back because of my paranoia issues
0: there's plenty of other beaches yeah but you know, you <laughs> <can go> <laughs> i don't know i think i'd skip that <laughs> yeah definitely do you fly emirates anymore would you fly like any of those gulf carriers or uh, <sighs> they would transit through there i would assume if you were having to take emirates to say thailand or, or something like that or in asia Ooh. you would have to probably go through dubai would you feel comfortable with that
1: I don't think I'd actually be allowed to do that. More than really? Oh, Are you barred from the country? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so basically, they gave us a sentence of four years of deportation. Um, so that's why as soon as it came to Ramadan, the Sheikh issued out a set of pardons, which I'm overly thankful for. And uh, it turns out our name was obviously on that list. But part of the conditions is, I think you're not allowed back in the country for like for the rest of your sentence. So for like another four years or so.
0: At all, even in transit.
1: Even in transit, I, I, I don't quote me on that, but I'm near enough 100% sure like you're not allowed to step foot anywhere near. Their country or, or anything like that.
0: You know what? It's not worth it. it I would,
1: pay, not, I would yeah. pay a
0: couple hundred more euros. <laughs> you know, I'll go around the motherfucking world than ever go through Dubai again after what you oh, went no. through. So let me get into this. So, a friend of Carl's moved to Dubai to work. And this was in 2012, right, Carl? Yep. So, you and a buddy, another friend, where, went to fly to visit him. You went shopping one day. Yep. And you rented a car. You came Mm -hmm. back to the car with the bags from what you bought, and you realized that there was another bag in the car. Mm -hmm. You then called the rental car company, and you said, hey, there's another bag in here. What is going on? We don't know. Did you look in the bag?
1: Yeah, so when we saw that there was an extra bag, we obviously opened the bag, and we're like, right, what's this sort of thing? Um, Had a look inside, and there's loads of like silver glossy packages so you couldn't even see inside the package as to what it was but there was just loads and loads and loads of them and um, obviously we read the writing on the front and it was like atomic blast, not for human consumption, legal in Britain and it had loads of different things on it so we were just like, well, like what's this it didn't actually really explain what it was so when we called them back the rental car company Yeah. so when we called them back and said look hey like, we found all this stuff in the car the guy's like oh it's nothing don't worry man it's just Doha um, Doha is Arabic tobacco so we said to him Oh, so what should we do about the the bag in the car did, did someone previous um, the, the previous owner of the car leave it in there and he says to me. Oh, yeah Yeah, no problem when you bring the car back just leave the bag in the car and we'll take it then So we were just like okay fine like you're on holiday in Dubai women everywhere alcohol flowing everywhere We've just been shopping in in the, what mall was it? The Dubai Emirates Mall. So we're like feeling all hyped and that. The last thing on our mind is we're about to be set up or anything like that, you know? So we just carried on about our day. And then when we got to my friend Sonny's apartment, me and one of the other guys was was in the car chilling while Sonny went up to the apartment and literally we got swarmed on by the police. Quick as that.
0: The packets turned out to be a thing called spice. Correct. This is the problem with making cannabis illegal. They formed another market (laughs) for fucking legal cannabis and this shit is even worse than real weed. It's oh,
1: horrible, mate. The stories I've heard oh, about it. I saw a show
0: about it the other day. I don't remember where. I, it was a great documentary about people being addicted to spice now. They tweak out, and it's synthetic marijuana. It's comparable to meth in a lot of ways, more than marijuana. Just smoke weed. <laughs> Come on, bro. It'd be so
1: much easier. <laughs>
0: Just fucking blade it up. Come on, man. With the ganja, you're the Rastafari, man. You know. So, but the cops show up. Do they automatically start to get rough with you? Like, right away? A little
1: bit rough. They didn't need to grab us up the way they did, and they chucked us straight on the floor, and one of the geezers just basically jabbed me in the ribs with his gun straight away just to let me know, look, like, we're not messing about here. Because obviously, I was talking to my friend, my other English friend, so we were kind of like talking in like East London kind of like slang. And so like he was like, yo, like, like walk one, and I'm like, bruv, I don't have a Scooby, what's going on? Which means basically, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't right. have a clue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then he was like, oh, like, can we duck from this one? And I'm like, no, nah, we can't duck from this. Duck means run. Do you know what I mean? I was like, nah, like we can't run here, mate. Like because at first we thought we was just being robbed. Right, you, you had know, no idea they were we, police officers. Yeah, we, we didn't even have a clue. We just thought, obviously we're driving around in a brand new, B, I think it's a BMW M3 convertible way. Like, I don't know anything about, I don't drive, I don't know anything about cars, right? But it was fresh. But this thing looked like a fresh spaceship, like fit to go to Mars. So at first I was just thinking, we're being robbed. because so We had loads of shopping bags, passports with us, You know, you hear stories of people like getting kidnapped for their passports and all this. So that's, that's why And the police, they
0: weren't dressed in uniforms.
1: No, they were. They didn't even come over and say, Dubai police, nothing like that. They just come over, pulled us out of the car, gun jabbed in the ribs. And then he was like, I'm a police officer. And I was like, phew. (laughs) I I was actually like, wow, I think my life might be okay. Yeah. But if if only you knew. (laughs) Oh no, if, if
0: I knew. <laughs> if you would have known what would have happened the next year of your life, oh. you would have just tried to make it to the airport as quickly as, or the embassy as quickly as possible.
1: Definitely. Well, actually no, if I'm honest with you, go, going on my experiences with the with the embassy, I don't think I'll be, <laughs> I don't think going there would be good either. Right to the airport. <laughs> Straight to the airport. <laughs>
0: All right, so, and then they drive you back to your hotel.
1: No, before they took us back to the hotel, um, they drove us out to the desert. And that's where the first part of the torture really started. And if I'm honest with you, that's probably the scariest part.
0: And the whole time, were you thinking this has got to be some kind of misunderstanding?
1: Mhm. And the thing is, I- I'd-, I'd be explaining to the police officers like, look, like we're tourists, like we've done nothing wrong. that we don't mind taking you to our apartment. We'll take you anywhere where you want to go. Like we'll comply however we can. That because we haven't actually done anything wrong. And the guys would just look at me and just laugh and go, don't worry, like, you'll tell us the truth soon. Don't worry.
0: Whoa, whoa. Mm. So, and how many were there? Police?
1: Uh, I'd say in between 9 and 12.
0: So there was a lot of people there. This was a sting. You think you were set up?
1: I personally think I was set up. But where I can't prove it and I don't know where and who and how, it's hard to say, yeah, I was set up and pinpoint it because you can't. That's, do you know what I mean? Just the way that things happened, it was just too weird, like now, I've, like hindsight's an, an amazing thing and, and it's just like, now when I look back on it all I'm just like, do you know what, there's so many points in which if i had been thinking with a paranoid mind then I wouldn't have, I would have been like, no I'm not getting back in that car with that bag in it, like, no, you, can, you, you need to come and get the bag now. Do you know? Yeah. Where they were just just so relaxed and just so calm. Like, oh yes, yeah, nothing. You know, local tobacco, Doha. We was like, okay, sweet, no problem. But now I'd have been like, no, come and get this bag, take the car back. So they drive you out to the desert, and then Um, I was immediately pulled out of the car, and that's when they started to at first just slap me like really, really, really hard. I don't know what it is about with um arabs and slapping it's just really strange <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that's their shit huh <laughs> yeah that, that is their thing do you know what i mean what? so so like the, these guys just started slapping the life out of me like all of them or a couple of them just a few of them just, just like three or four of them taking it in and then they and then they'd like do the window down on my friend sonny's car and show me the taser and then close the window, and you can hear him going. Ah! You can hear him screaming, and you can hear the taser going off. And then they, then they, then they quickly jab him in in, in the ribs with, with It's like a taser slash electronic c- cattle prod sort of thing. And then and then they keep doing that to him. And they and they like the whole time they're saying to me, go into your phone, call some other drug dealers, and arrange for them to buy some space. They called it at the time. And I said to him, mate, if you look through my phone book, you're gonna find nothing but. English friends that don't live in this country. I don't know any mom. drug dealers here. <laughs> yeah, like my mom, like my brothers. <laughs> I said to him, look, I don't know anyone that lives in this country. Like I'm nothing to do with drugs or anything like that. Like, And he was like, okay, well, we'll give you a number. You call this guy and you arrange to make a deal. I said, I'm not a snitch. And I said, I'm not gonna be calling random drug dealers in Dubai, arranging to buy drugs for you to set them up for me to have to go prison and end up getting what? killed by them. That's I said, crazy. no way. Right. So obviously when we started to say no and that we don't know anything about anything, they just seemed to, th- they they thought we were lying. So hence why the torture was so extreme. Um. So then once we'd, once we'd been tortured in the desert, they then took us back to our hotel room. And this is where eight police officers jumped on me in a room and just literally started battering me. Like, from all angles, just battering me. Um, they They put towels over my head started tasing me on the inside of my thighs lead, leading up to my groin area uh, my hands were still in handcuffs and at one point i was just sitting on the floor and one of them was just kicking me so hard in my hands that my the my fifth metacarpal in my hand broke um like it it, it was just relentless it, honestly like it just wouldn't stop
0: and you heard your friends in the background screaming too were they being tortured as well
1: well the thing is though right one of my friends had a panic attack and the other one of my friends very cleverly jumped up and said, oh, you know, uh, I suffer from diabetes, so you have to go easy on me, which they did. And then <laughs> that my friend that had the panic attack, so they just got scared and was like, all right, so what's going to be your problem then? black guy and i was like well,
0: oh, um uh,
1: hi uh, hi my name's carl <laughs> <laughs> i'm from east london please don't torture me that kind of thing your, boy,
0: your <laughs> boys use the best excuses
1: <laughs> yeah they use all the excuses and i was just like oh, oh great fuck so they just went to town on me oh. so then obviously i can hear my friends going carl are you okay like screaming and i'm obviously like ah now I can look back on it and not really laugh about it, but you know what I mean? I, I can really just.
0: Yeah, I think you have
1: to yeah. because it's,
0: just so, it's so mental when you're in this situation. I mean, you're there to relax. You're on a vacation. And all of a sudden, you're being electrocuted in your groin by yeah. 8 to 12 police officers Ooh. who you think are police officers trying to coerce you into setting someone up for a crime that you have nothing to do with. It's a nightmare. Yeah, I understand it. But I'm, I'm, I'm Irish-American. I laugh at funerals. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just what I do, you know. So yeah, it doesn't I, like matter. Me, I might come yeah. to one with you. Yeah, <laughs> everybody processes things differently.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure you've
0: been through therapy, no question.
1: Yeah, well, but basically, there's actually a funny story about that. So, basically, when I came out, um, I was basically just very strange. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I've always been a very headstrong person and I'm, I'm a mind over matter guy. Um, so, when I came out, I was like, I'd be asleep and I'd wake up screaming, shouting, and crying. My missus used to just be like, "What? The like, what happened to you in there? Like, you know, did did anything more happen?" And I was like, "No, like nothing, nothing happened like that." Um,
0: oh, you mean like rape or
1: something? Yeah, like rape and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, "No, like nothing, nothing like that happened." But so it just really affected me, and I, and I felt like I was just angry. You no, know, I couldn't put my finger on it and be like, "I'm angry at this," or I I just. I almost felt like the world owed me, do you know what I mean? And so the charity that actually helped us to, to get us out of jail put me in contact with a charity called the Helen Bamber Foundation and I have to thank them like so much for all the work they've done with me. So basically I, I'd done like a six month assessment. Now at the end of the six month assessment the woman said to me, you've got like anxiety problems, post-traumatic stress disorder depression just like literally the list was just ridiculous they're they're the three things that i know that everyone will know if the woman then said to me right we want to prescribe you this amount of medication and then here's your treatment plan so i looked at all of these things right i looked at the list which said i'm crazy and i'm split personality and this and that and that then then i looked at the medication and i was like okay so now they need to sedate me for it and then I looked at this other list, which was like they wanted to do like shock therapy or whatever it's called, Lo- loads of different types of therapy. And then what I then done was I walked out of that place and I just stood, like, it's, uh, it was a, it's in a place called Camden, which is quite cool and trendy, you know, like loads of hippies around and all that sort yeah. of stuff.
0: Man buns, they love the man bun.
1: Yeah, like li- literally, like, if, if I was just in Camden and I was just like, I think I can beat this. So I've got my light around my pocket set all the bits of paper on fire right outside the office and I just watched it all burn and then since then I've never been back there. I never went I, 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 I never done the treatment plan. I didn't take the the medication. I just dealt with it in my own way and I just thought to myself, right, this thing is not gonna break me. And I wanna I wanna show people that do you know what, as humans, like we're so much stronger than what we actually believe we are. And that's how I kinda dealt with it by talking about it all the time. And just always being in that situation, always having to replay it in my head over and over and over and over again to now to the point where I laugh at it and I have to, if, if I was to see any of those police officers, I'd hug them and kiss them and say, Do you know what, thank you because you made me a man and you made me stronger
0: that takes a lot of balls to really look yourself in the mirror and say hey i'm not gonna let this thing beat me isn't it a shame that they would give you drugs and all these things i mean it's just such a fucking sham bro oh, I mean, no. another black mark on the uh, national health system huh I'm really, <laughs> thanks yeah. the, you know they, the guy's been in jail and now they try and electrically shock him <laughs> for a homecoming present and get him addicted to opiates and other things <laughs> it's like gee thanks So now what happens?
1: So basically what it was, right, we got taken to Port Rashid police station and we were held there for three days. Then we went to court. Then after court, we were transferred to Port Rashid prison, okay? And it was, what I mean, it was roasting hot outside, like so hot you drop an egg on the floor and you cook it. But luckily we had air conditioning on the inside. But this is where it gets really bad, right? Because it's either boiling hot outside or freezing cold inside to the point where if you go outside of a chocolate bar in your pocket it will melt and then when you come back inside if you put that chocolate bar underneath your bed it will freeze up again and go and go solid that's how cold it is so they
0: put you in front of a judge How were you processed when you're arrested in Dubai? I
1: still don't even know because the whole thing was in Arabic. (laughs) That's so fucked up. They didn't have a translator there at all for you or anything? No. no, no. We had a translator once, and that was when we went to see the general prosecutor. But when you're in court and all of that, bro, you're just standing there, and all you're hearing is, and you're just standing there, and then someone will just go, yeah, go, 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 and you have to go. That's it. You don't actually have a clue. You don't get asked any questions. Nothing. Your lawyers do the speaking and the judges and all that. They do all the talking.
0: Did your lawyers talk to you at all? Did they say like, hey, this is the charges. This is what's going to happen?
1: Well, basically, the British embassy turned up and said to us, you're you're being charged with drug trafficking. And we were like, but how? We weren't found near any airports. We'd been in the country for four days. That like, like, like how, like how? And then she was like, well, you know, you could get 25 years of the death penalty. And I was like, how, oh my God. like, what have I done? And then um, by the time like we got around to going to court, which was almost a year later, the charges were dropped to possession and use. So this is, this is what's weird about this whole possession and use charge. When they gave us our drug test, me and my friend had smoked cannabis literally two days before, no, the day before we'd got into Dubai. So we're at the airport because the flight took, it was an overnight flight or whatever, so it's technically the day before. We'd smoked a fat joint before we got there. (laughs) So I know this skunk stuff's going to be in my system, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, literally. So when we come to getting arrested and doing a drug test, the the police officer says to me, have you done any drugs? Obviously, I've said no. The police officer says to my friend Grant, have you done any drugs? And he says, yeah, I smoked cannabis two days ago in my own country. the man was like, okay. So when our drug test came back, mine came back with spice and Grant's came back with spice and cannabis. But I was like, hold on. Number one, I haven't smoked any spice, but I smoked a drink with him. (laughs) So so there's no way on God's earth that that's not gonna be in my system. So that's when I knew everything was just all a lie.
0: Yeah, they planted it on you.
1: Everything was a lie. Even down to the search warrants, which they supposedly had to actually search us, they were fake search warrants. The judge hadn't, the, and the prosecutor or whoever hadn't authorized these search warrants. Like everything was fake. Did they make you sign anything? Yeah, they they made us sign these dodgy statements that were all in Arabic. They'd ask us questions. Like, let's say um, I I was sitting there with the translator, and the prosecutor would ask the translator a question. I'd reply with like a. Fifteen sentence word, and the uh, the translator would just go, and I'm like, hold on, I've just reeled off an essay to you, and you've just gone.
0: I read somewhere they made you confess to being Pablo Escobar's son.
1: (laughs) Is that right? No, No, basically, right. (laughs) Um, I I can't even remember how. That's so ridiculous. (laughs) No one's asked me this for like at least a couple years now. It's completely stupid. Something silly like. One of my friends said something like, Who do you think? Who do you think I am, Pablo Escobar's son? And the guy went, Yes. And so then my mate was like, Ah, whatever. Like, this is something crazy like that.
0: So they actually wrote that down. That's the extent to which they were (laughs) leading these guys. Imagine this. Just eight hours before, you're shopping, you're at a mall, you're having a Mm -hmm. good time. Then all of a sudden, suddenly you're being driven out to the desert, being tasered. The embassy is telling you you could serve 25 years to life. I would have maybe lost it.
1: How did you keep calm? Sleep, sleep. You just sleep. You like literally, I slept away the days. Like honestly, like that that was the only thing I could do. Sleeping and then arguing with people that was like my highlight. Because after a while you just get bored, you know. And the first prison that we were in, it was like literally hell. It was overcrowded. It was dirty. Yeah, the food was horrible. Like At one point, I I basically had to... I survived off like three pieces of bread a day for about a month, month and a half, two months because the, the rice had peanuts in it and I was allergic to peanuts. What's crazy is, right, is because if you... I don't know if you've had a chance to read my book or anything, but it basically explains how I managed to rise to power in, in a Dubai prison because it's illegal to smoke cigarettes inside the jail. And the cigarette trade is probably the biggest trade going in jail it cost approximately 20 pound for one cigarette so obviously we're not rich so when I were, when I was going to the hospital to to go and get um, my, my hand fixed I'd get people from inside the jail I'd get them to call their family members and come and meet me inside the inside the toilets in in the hospital with loads of this Arabic tobacco which was actually called Doha that I actually finally got to see right huh and this, this tobacco is legal. It's literally just pure tobacco. It gives you, like, head rush for, like, a second or two. So I used to get people to come and meet me in the toilets with, like, massive bags of it. And I'd put it in my balls and sneak it back into the jail. So when I started to do this, all of the, like, local gangsters and, and all, the, all the rich gangsters were like, hey, like, how's this British guy he always got stuff that he's smoking and never runs out? He doesn't buy from us anymore. So they pulled me to one side and was just like... Are you smuggling and stuff back into the jail and I was like yeah I am and they were like why didn't you tell us and I was like well I didn't want to step on anyone's toes and I just thought I'd keep it quiet that way I avoid trouble and all that sort of stuff so obviously by this time I'd obviously made loads of friends in the jail people knew me and and whatnot so they were just like look like we can actually help you out and make you make your journey smoother I was like what do you mean he was like well for a start he was like, why don't you come move into my cell? And I was just like, "Ooh, I don't know about uh, that. This is like some, uh, some big black guy, like massive. But he was like the foreman of the whole jail because the jail's run by prisoners. It's not run by the guards. So he was like, look, move into my cell. It was like, I'll help you. I can point out which guards are crooked so you can pay them so that when you come back into the prison, you know your parcel's 100% coming through. They'll smuggle you in phones. You know, we can get extra food at time, like Pizza Hut and all this sort of stuff. And I was just like, at first I was just like, mm, let me just, yeah. you know, let me just feel it out for a little bit. Like, I'll, I'll still do what I do. I'll still use your guards. And, you know, when, when my parcels come through, you know, I'll give you guys big chunks and all that. So I was doing that for a little while. And I used to get called in, into their into like the main gangsters cell at night times, and they'd be sitting there eating. Is it Hardee's?
0: Oh yeah, it's like a, a hamburger joint like fast yeah, food think, right 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 it's, yeah, hard. it's yeah, like a yeah. mcdonald's so, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah yeah yeah. so like they'd be sitting there eating Hardee's some nights and then other nights they'd be sitting there eating salmon and ribs and all this sort of stuff Holy and i'm like wow yeah and, and they used to just come and they, they used to just quickly, they'd come to my cell <laughs> and be like yo come 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 so obviously when i used to go and eat with them i'd take loads of food back for all my boys as well so when they saw me doing that they were like you know what this guy like he's something else because most people would have just gone there and just been like and just munched everything but I'd only have like a really small piece so that I could take loads back for, for obviously Grant and Sunny. Oh, Sonny. that's a
0: nice guy, bro. So so you, yeah. were like, so you were like to this big, huge black gangster guy who's like, <laughs> showing you the promised land who's going to help you uh-huh. out. You're like, so let me get this straight. You're going to give <laughs> me hearties and I can hang out with you and basically mm-hmm. be protected of you from all the other crazy psychos mm-hmm. that are running around here and I don't have to suck your dick.
1: Yep. <laughs> and, Perfect. And
0: give up my butt. <laughs>
1: i guess it's a win-win yeah it was literally a win-win and it it was it was weird right because the the reason i knew this guy is because i lived in dubai like a year or so before that for a year right and imagine i got into a fight in a nightclub once and basically i got jumped by like eight arabs in a nightclub okay but they didn't even beat me up or anything like that because i just moved out of the way i was so drunk i didn't even realize myself but I was like waiting outside because I was angry that I'd been jumped by eight Arabs. So I'm waiting outside the nightclub now, like hiding around the corner thinking, right, This was a when year when before. It,
0: this is a year before the incident. Okay.
1: Yes. So I was thinking whenever, when, when, when these guys come out, I'm going to go straight back to them and we're going to do it properly. But I was standing outside and I just started laughing to myself and I just thought, I'm so pissed right now. I don't even know what these guys look like. So they'd obviously <laughs> seen me on the CCTV standing outside the club laughing, thinking I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy had come up to me and said, Hey man, like you're crazy. Like, we we've we been watching you. And I explained to him, no, I was actually laughing because I couldn't remember what they looked like. Me and the guy got talking. It was like, come back inside, come have a drink, whatever. And it turns out that it's that guy. He, he was the foreman of the jail.
0: Whoa. Oh, so he Imagine got arrested. Wait, was he a guard or no? He was like, he was an inmate. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was he, an inmate. So he got arrested for something.
1: Yep, yeah, he got arrested for something. But he was different. like the
0: bouncer of that club that you were at a year prior. Yep. Yeah. Wow, that's weird, huh?
1: Do you know what I mean? So, that's so the random. moment I got to the jail, he was always cool with me, and like sometimes he'd come to my cell and be like, "Hey can you can you hide my phone for me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, cool, give it to me." Like, and I and I'd hide his phone and all, all that sort of and stuff. And he was so a British guy too. Nah, he was Sudanese. Okay. So we always had that kind of relationship and. I used to write him songs and poems for his girlfriend that he wanted to try and win <laughs> back, and like he'd he'd like pay me in like gigantic bags of Doha, and I'm just like, okay, sweet, oh my <laughs> you God. know, dude. So also,
0: so you kept yourself busy, but but that place was a shithole, wasn't it? I mean, oh. I've read, I've heard there was an Australian guy, I think his name was Marcus Lee, and you ever mm-hmm. hear his story? He was like arrested around 2010. He was an accountant. And they got him on some bribery charge or something. Somebody just didn't like him. And they made him serve nine months there in Port Bershaw. Yeah. And then he got out. And then he he served four years under house arrest. And they made him put up $300,000. And they basically bankrupted the guy. And finally, they dropped all the charges like five years later this poor bastard. Now he's back in Australia. But I just read a thing about him online the other day. But this type of thing, these authorities there, they do these things all the time. They can hold you for an indeterminate amount of time in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Like there's no That's due correct. process. There's none of that. There were Recently, Amnesty International had a thing. There were three sisters. They were Emirati mm-hmm. too. But their brother is a prisoner of conscience. Basically, he had something to say about the government and they arrested him. They do that all the time there. These three sisters, they tweeted – something online, you know, saying, you know, this is ridiculous that our brother is, you know, I don't know exactly what they tweeted, but the authorities called them down to the station and they were in force disappeared for three months. Uh-huh. Yeah, this just happened in February. And what that means is they don't tell anyone where you are. They just take you. And their family, these three sisters, these three sisters did not know where they were. They called the police station. They were trying to find out what was happening with these three girls. No one said anything. And the first time that their family had seen these three sisters again was when they showed up at their door three
1: months later. <sighs> That's
0: justice in Dubai.
1: Wow. And you know all about that, I'm sure. Yeah, we, we even had um, human rights officials from the United Nations come down to the prison and, and the Dubai police turned them away.
0: Isn't that crazy?
1: What? It's crazy. Crazy turn them away so when you're when you're in there
0: i read also that the russian mafia was very helpful yeah. for you too right they run the oh, jails definitely.
1: yeah because basically i ended up doing a favor for them without even realizing one of the russian mafia guys was in my cell until like two of them were in my cell actually and um he said to me one day he says oh he says oh i can hear him talking away and he's like oh we need to get another phone transferred over to central prison but he didn't have any more phones. And I was like, well, I've got a phone inside my property box that I'm not going to use. So like, it looks like I'm going to be here for the rest of my life now. So <laughs> you can have it, <laughs> you know, you got it's, a good it's data all plan. yours. Yeah. And um, the guy was like, oh, wicked, can you get it for me? So I said, yeah. So he said to me that his wife was coming to the jail to come and visit him. So if I could get it ready for when his wife comes, the guards will give it to his wife. I was like, cool, no problem. And then he came back to me, and he was like, um, do you reckon you could like give me the SIM card though? And I was like, yeah, I'll get it for you. Gave him the SIM card. He was like, mate, for this, like, you don't understand that like, how much you've just helped me out because the phone that I've got inside this jail, the SIM card's been blocked. So I just helped this geezer out. Um, got one of my family members to buy like loads of credit because he couldn't get through to his missus one day. And the guy paid me back and. He was just like, mate, you don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm going to help you boys out if you put, if you need any, anything when you're in central prison. And he's like, all of my friends are the Russian mafia. Like, I, like, We run shit. And I was like, wow. All because I gave <laughs> a guy you. SIM card. <laughs> Merry <Yeah. Christmas. laughs> oh, Well, you yeah. know, it's
0: weird because I, 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 when I read that, I was like, what the hell is the Russian mafia doing in Dubai prisons? And then I read that Dubai in like late 2000s, Dubai was like the center for money laundering. One of the biggest money launderers was an Indian guy. I think he was moving 1.35 billion pounds a year. This guy was like, yeah, like they were moving major money through there. And the Russians knew it. And they were putting their stuff there too. They were buying massive amounts of property, you know, because there was no real foreign ownership laws in Dubai at the time. They might have changed things a little bit now, you know, but they helped you out big time, I guess, huh? They were cool with you. Yeah. And weren't some of the inmates using HIV as a weapon?
1: That's correct, yeah. So you'd have, like, certain fights going on, and then certain gangsters would go and call a few people from, like, HIV wing and be like, right, come, you guys, I need you to infect this guy. And they'd go down there, slash him up, slash themselves up, mix up all the blood, (sighs) you know. Wow, bro. There were some
0: psychos there, huh?
1: Oh, yeah, man, there's some... There were some horrible, horrible, horrible characters there, but at the same time, in between 60 to 70 percent of the inmates were lovely people. If I'm honest with you, like what that experience showed me, because everyone always has this preconceptive idea about gangsters and 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 what gangsters are like and all this sort of stuff. But if you're a real gangster, then you're a real man at the same time. You laugh, you cry, you eat, you sleep, you shit, and manners makes the world go round because you've got to see it as that is. That's the wildest place in the world to be in a prison you know especially when the wing that I was on was drugs and murder according to society they're like two of the most worst kind of people to be around so I found that just being polite with people and just laughing and joking with people that's what really got me in there with so many people because I wasn't I wasn't afraid to, to, to talk to people or if I woke up in the morning and I, and I was up early like a lot of the Russian mafias They used to go gym in the mornings, or it's not really gym, they use like water bottles filled with sand. And they'd go really early in the morning. So when I'm getting up in the morning to go for a run, I'd see them, but it's just common courtesy. Hi, how you doing? Good morning. Just a bit of manners and common courtesy, and that's what people really respect.
0: When did you hear that Prime Minister David Cameron had talked to the president of Dubai, the Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al, al- Maktum? I think that's his name?
1: Al-Maktoum, yeah, that's it. Did you hear that,
0: when that he had um, spoke to him personally about your situation?
1: Um, my brother was on Daybreak, which is a TV show over here, and then David Cameron was on the show the next day, and I have to thank everyone down at ITV Daybreak because they literally just asked him live on TV, so what are you going to do about the three British guys that have been tortured in Dubai? And you can see his face twitch a little bit, you know. (laughs) He kind of like twitches a little bit and then he's like, yeah, well, you know, the the sheikh's in the country tomorrow, so we're going to all sit down and have a meeting. Perfect.
0: Do you think that he helped you in your release or
1: no? If I'm honest with you, it's a very weird subject because there was never any evidence against us which didn't actually do anything wrong. And then you've got the whole torture side of things and we had proof of our torture because the British Embassy came came down and wrote notes on all the injuries that they could see on us those notes got sent to a special torture scientist from America called dr. Arnold he then gave a report 110% that we were telling the truth in what we went through and I think as well it's due to the amount of noise that we made people in Dubai don't don't really like you making a lot of noise Mix that with a little bit of David Cameron, shaking hands and whatnot, and then add in the whole political aspect to it, because at that time, Britain were going through slight dramas with the UAE over fighter jets. Right. I remember that. And then there was no more fighter jets for the UAE. And then I was released three or four months later, and then now everyone's all friends again. So I don't <laughs> actually know what, what went on. <laughs> I don't actually have a clue.
0: So when did you hear you were getting out of there? you were getting pardoned.
1: When we got sentenced in April, we got sentenced to four years of deportation. I knew I'd be coming home, not new, but I was near enough, 100% sure that I'd be coming home for Ramadan, which was in like July or June, because every year for Ramadan, anyone that is a first time, first offense that has a four year sentence or less, you're eligible to be put up for the pardon. It's kind of like a parole system, but it's called pardon. Obviously, everyone was just saying to us, look, don't worry, you boys are definitely getting home. Like, you've made too much noise and all this sort of stuff. And then, yeah, next thing you know, I heard my name being called in the tannoy. That
0: would be like the point where I'd be the most nervous. Definitely. Because they know you're getting out. They might want to bring you back. You think you're already setting Mm -hmm. up. You're second guessing everything that's happened. You have so much time to think. You're overthinking everything. You're overanalyzing everything. You're not really sleeping. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you're like being dangled that carrot of freedom. Because you have to be hard, right? You have to be a certain Mm -hmm. way when you're inside. I mean, I've interviewed people that have been locked up for a number of years in, in the United States. And... They say, you know, you have to really be a different person in there.
1: In some respects, yes. Like from what I've seen about American prisons, the Bayer prison wasn't anything kind of like American prisons. For honest use, a lot. It's, uh, it's hard for me to say because I was so in there with so many different people. My experience would be completely different to someone that doesn't know anyone. Do you know? So it's like there's certain places in the jail Like upstairs is run by all the Africans okay all the africans and the gangster poor locals so to anyone normal you can't go up there like you don't like even when you go up there it's all dark and like it's, it's crazy like because you can almost hear like the lions roaring and all that sort of stuff you know what I mean? <laughs> really
0: oh wow so there was different yeah, like,
1: tiers and sections yeah like you just don't go there but i had me shall say me and my two friends we had free roma the whole jail so like I'm I'm walking up into certain wings and there's other people that are on my wing and they're hearing that I'm upstairs, they're like, Bro, like what are you doing up there? Like are you crazy? And I'm like going shopping. Yeah, I'm like but if for most of you, that's where I used to do my shopping, right? right?
0: Used <laughs> to go up there, get some tobacco. Hey, you know, I'm just getting yeah. some rips, I'm eating some hardies. Oh, <laughs> some former me. African gangsters, you know, <laughs> just hanging out. When you find out you were getting out, was everybody happy for you? Or like the Russian oh, guys was yeah. like, yo, you know. Or, Everyone was over Nobody was jealous or anything like that. I'd be nervous, so somebody might want to get an idea, you know, and like try and
1: frame me for something. Help me stay. No one was jealous. There was this one Russian guy called Mice. He was like the biggest one out of all of them. And he used to have this joke with us. Like he'd walk into our cell and go, today, I kill you. And then I kill your friend. And then he just walk off and we just start pissing ourselves with laughter. <laughs> so He saw me walking about and he was like, oh, you think you go home? No, I kill you. And then he just laugh and then just walk off. And I'm oh like, yeah, God. funny guy. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Yeah. I'm already shitting myself. <laughs> I already need
0: like diapers for life here. Yeah. You're not helping me.
1: That's but literally, crazy. He, like, he, he was the nicest guy ever. Like, he literally... Like, cause, at night times, we'd all get our mattresses and put all the mattresses all together and sit in front of the TV and everyone likes, because otherwise you got to sit on the cold floor. Everyone just sits down, like literally loads of us, like 40 of us together on our wing, watching films. Everyone's passing around biscuits and food and drinks and all that sort of stuff. So there's a real like family vibe to it. It's, it's, it's so strange. Do you ever reach back out? Do you write to these guys? I've lost touch with quite a lot of them. Some of them Facebook me, because obviously like people have like, Blackberries and iPads and all that sort of stuff in jail, do you know what I mean, so people, <laughs> they're, on, they're on Facebook? Yeah, I- They're liking things in, in Port Rashad. I had a touchscreen BlackBerry while I was in Port- In what? fact, I had two phones while I was in Port Rashid. I had a touchscreen BlackBerry and I had like this little Nokia thing that I used to talk to the guards on. What? Yeah, when, when you see my book, if you if you open the book and you, you'll see that there's pictures from inside the jail, from me being inside the jail, and that was all taken on on the BlackBerry.
0: So you handled things pretty well there. You got pretty much your God, whatever big force was yeah, looking out for there you. Was There's a lot of things that fell me. in your your favor.
1: Literally everything fell in my favor. It's quite scary actually because I think I'm now cursed with bad luck. But no, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm joking. Touch wood, I'm joking. So so <laughs> how
0: did this, how did this fucking catastrophe? How did it change you? What did you come out of there with?
1: It's just it, it's just given me such a thirst for life, and like i use my days properly now there's 24 hours in a day so whether it be like i'm, I'm up at like 7 30s in the morning i'm going for a run then i'm doing meetings about book stuff and i'm then doing meetings about music stuff i'm got back in touch with my whole modeling side of things like it's just made me get everything up and on the move and it's and yeah it's it's made me really appreciate my family and my friends like, more than anything, you know, that's why, like, my, my daughter, she's she's everything to me. So, all my time goes to her, and then all of my business side of things.
0: And I think we'll stop right there. Gymsveld is available on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spresher, and on Stitcher. If you like this, please share with all your friends and family. I would greatly appreciate that. And also a comment and a rating on iTunes. For Jim from Jimsville, I greatly appreciate you guys for listening. Stay again, peace. Girl, I'm
1: going you asparagus. I'm telling you my peace things. I'm telling you my peace stings. And girl I'm telling